Hey there everyone, this is Albert Lamb with Between the Gutters podcast, where we talk about the stories within the panels. Today, we are doing a special uh, quarantine edition of our podcast. I have us here, uh, with us here is my partner in crime. I'm Drew Tan. Yeah, Drew Tan, not not my soulmate per se, but sure, why not? And uh, we also have uh, our special... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> we all said you, you made it weird <laughs> what but, okay, it's not weird okay we're, we're not soulmates <laughs> we're not, be, not uh, quite soulmates not quite soulmates uh, but today we also have uh, our special guest commentator our friend of the pod Zachary Hanna yep, what uh, guilty as charged what's up guys <laughs> Special quarantine edition. We're uh, recording this remotely, so we're not getting any germs on each other. We're nope. pretty much festering in our own filth and exactly. making ourselves sick with ourselves. <laughs> <laughs> so today's format is going to be a little different. Uh, we wanted to continue to put content out in spite of uh, our conditions and uh, you know our limitations at the moment. So. We are going to be doing a grab bag edition of the podcast. Drew, would you like to explain further so that people kind yeah. of get an idea? So this is just a mailbag where we answer a bunch of questions from our listeners and friends. Uh, so it's just a fun way to talk about all sorts of different stuff and about comics. Um, so yeah, people have given us some questions. Uh, we posted a couple posts on instagram to see if anyone had anything that they wanted to submit and some of you guys did so yeah we're, we we've got a list of questions and uh we'll see how many we can get through hopefully uh, all of them and just uh as an added sense of suspense uh the questions that we have uh we haven't shared them with each other quite yet so we've got uh like drew said we've gotten them from various sources and we haven't shared them with each other so like, I don't know what he's going to ask, and he doesn't know yeah. what I'm going to ask, so, you know, I hope this puts you all on the edge of your seats, because what am I going to ask him? Huh? Yeah, none of these answers will be premeditated, so... Yeah. yeah. Who's the killer, Drew? Who's the killer? The butler did it. Exactly. <laughs> it's always the butler. Alright, you guys want to get started with this? Yeah, let's let's do some brain stretches. Let's start us off with a question. Okay, here, here's here's uh, the first question. This one is actually from uh, from Ray, who was on our show uh, sometime last year when we were talking about the uh, Marvel Cinematic Universe. But this question was, "What is your guys' podcast origin story, and how did you guys meet?" <laughs> Ooh. Oh. <laughs> Ooh. We were bitten by a radioactive podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah exactly that's how we became a uh, superhuman podcasters <laughs> all right Good deal. Uh, that one's settled. Yeah. <laughs> um do do you want me to take it or well you can share the story of how we met i'll i'll share the story of how we started our podcast and the origin of our podcast is pretty simple albert and i pretty much always talk about comics whenever we hang out uh so one day we just decided hey why don't we just record some of the things that we talk about so uh we can have our own podcast and 
you know, maybe people out there will be entertained or find something of value or enjoyment in what we say. And it's pretty uh, much as simple as that. Yeah. Um, yeah, I would, I would just add that it's, it's really just an extension of uh, just the natural conversations that we have with one another, you know, just whatever various brain parts we're having that we find entertaining. And we thought it was a, a crime against society that nobody else would get to hear it. So we decided to record our musings yeah, and exactly. archive them for the world. Yeah, and we had to pull Zach into this because he's one of the few people that is able to communicate about comics with us intelligently. Yeah, he's he's the he's the heavy here. He's got the smarts and the brains. Yeah, that this this guy is an artist, so he can speak about um, art a lot more intelligently and with more insight than Albert or I can. Uh, actually, I'm just along for the ride. I'm just kind of chilling listening <laughs> he's really <laughs> modest he is very modest very um do you want me to go into the story of how me and you met albert albert and drew yeah sure let's hear it um it's not really comics related or anything it wasn't like we were in the midst of a comic book sale and frantically digging through boxes and we both reached for the same comic and you know upon pulling the same comic we both realized that we had the same taste in comics and a light came from the heavens and lit up the world and we knew that we were destined to be a duo that would destroy the world that would rein in the apocalypse or anything like that but you know it's something um essentially, i like that story better I know, it's pretty dramatic, it's pretty dramatic, but our, uh, the story of how we actually met isn't without, it's not without its charms, um, essentially what happened was, uh, a buddy of, that I went to high school with had gone off to college, and he was going, and he had made, uh, friends with Drew while he was away at college, and one day, he comes back, and, uh, he's, He's telling me, hey, you want to go to Warriors game? And I, I go, sure, why not, man? I got, you know, I, I haven't hung out with you in a while. and It'd be good to get, just catch up and whatnot. And, um, you know, so I agree to go. And the whole time he's just building, he's telling me about this guy that he wants me to meet. He's building it up. He's like, hey, man, there's this dude that's going to be there. He's going to be really cool. I think you're really going to like him. You're going to get along. So I was like, okay, cool, sure, whatever. I mean, you're kind of selling it a bit hard, but, you know, whatever. A friend of yours is a friend of mine. Cool. And so the day of the game comes, and in my heart and in my mind... So what? I, you still there, Albert? Huh? I said, the day of the game comes, Albert, and, you in got my cut heart off. and in my mind, I, as much as I love my friend Justin, I, uh, there was a part of me that was... That didn't want to give him the satisfaction of knowing that he had, you know, matched us up. I don't know what the word is, but, you know, friended us up, what have you. So, Justin shows up uh, with his girlfriend. Simon shows up with his girlfriend. And, you know, I'm there and I'm with Drew. So, the first half of the game, I'm making, a point, making it a point not to talk about comics at all. And then 
you know, halfway through, I look over and Justin's with his girlfriend and he's sort of snuggling or whatever. And I look on the other side and Simon's with his girlfriend. They're getting kind of close. So I just look to my immediate left and it's just Drew and me. And I'm just like, eh, what have I got? So we just started talking about comics and <laughs> thus we were born. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, accurate. I will say, uh, from my end, it was pretty similar because uh, Justin was hyping you up to me as well, yeah. leading up to that, that day. He was like, oh, man, you, you're going to meet my friend Albert. I think you guys will get along great. He likes comics, too. You guys have a lot in common. Yeah, I think it'll really work out. And in my mind, I was just thinking, wait, does Justin think I'm gay? <laughs> uh, between the gutters, the bromance episode. Yeah. <laughs> Alright. So here's... Uh, uh, yeah. Here, here's a, an, another question. If if you would write a comic, which franchise would you do and who would draw it? And th this question is... That question is from Ray as well. Hmm. If you would write a comic, which franchise would you do and who would draw it? Zach, do you have any thoughts? Yeah, my first thought is Silver Surfer. I'm mentally thumbing through my mind right now for who I would want to draw it, though. So, uh, yeah, if you guys want to go ahead and answer while I take a second to think about like who my best artist for that would be. Yeah, so for me, uh, I would say if I were to make my own comic, I, like, I wouldn't want to do, uh, you know, like a corporate-owned superhero. Honestly, I'd rather just do my own comic. And, and like, I always had in my imagination when I used to dream of being a comic book writer, I used to, uh, I mean, I still have the notes from when I was trying to develop these ideas, but but uh, one idea I had was kind of a, basically a high fantasy story, like create create a world um, and basically a, a, like a Final Fantasy type of, of universe where there's like a mixture of, of uh, supernatural magic and as well as technology and, and you know some steampunk elements um just a mishmash of all the you know different things that i liked as a kid um i guess i still like them to some extent as an adult yeah but but i would be able to just build this world and, and use it to tell a variety of different types of stories so not necessarily just follow like one character's hero journey or anything like that but but use it to tell you know you could use it to tell a, a, you know your fantasy story or a science fiction kind of story or if i wanted to do a superhero story in that world with vigilantes or something i could do that or even like slice of life in a you know this kind of alternate world um so that, that's that's what i always dreamed of doing um but if i were to take the question uh at face value and and if i had to do a franchise uh that that's that's a tough one for me. Um, I probably want to do the Silver Surfer as well, because um, I think I've mentioned it on the show before, but he's always been my favorite character, uh, my favorite superhero growing up. Um, and as for, for my artist, definitely got to have this guy named Julian Zachary Hanna draw it. Oh, man. <laughs> I get to draw some Silver Surfer, man. That's a good day. So yeah, and, and the idea that I always had for my Silver Surfer story would be to do something like uh, a Cosmic Avengers kind of story. 
and, and this was a, an idea that I had way back years ago before Guardians of the Galaxy became popular. But I would want to have a story where the Silver Surfer has to... I don't, I don't have all the details worked out, but I, I know I'd want to build up to some kind of thing where he would have to team up with other high-powered cosmic heroes. Like, uh, like at the time, I, I really was into Phyla Vell, who was uh, Captain Marvel at the time. Uh, Beta Ray Bill, the Super Skrull, uh, maybe Ronan the Accuser, characters like that. Um, nice. Maybe it wouldn't really make too much sense in today's continuity now that Guardians of the Galaxy is a popular thing. Um, but that that was what I used to fantasize about. Either that or X-Men. But whoever I did, it'd have to be drawn by Zack. <laughs> nice, nice, nice. Thanks for the vote of confidence. So let me back up here. Are we are we talking an existing franchise? Because that's how I interpreted the question. Or if you what were franchise? to do your own thing. Uh, the question was, which franchise uh, would you do? So I think that just means uh, an existing franchise. Okay, okay. I'm, I'm actually working on my own thing right now, but if that was not the question, then yeah, I'm still going to go with Silver Surfer. I think for my artist, probably at the moment the one who comes to mind most is Clayton Crane, just because I would be really interested to see his rendition. Um, I've seen him do a few things, uh, like some one-offs or whatever, and post them on Instagram. And those are pretty cool, but I'm kind of wondering like a, how a whole book, like how a bunch of page art from him would look. Um, you know, just drawing the universe, drawing the circle and stuff like that. Yeah, he's got a really cool style that would fit. It suits Silver Surfer, totally. Um, yeah, uh, so, yeah, if it's me, um, I'm a little different than Drew in the sense that I'm a I'm a shill and a hack, so <laughs> <laughs> so my dream is to do a franchise. I would love nothing more than to do a franchise. Don't get me wrong; I have like my own independent ideas, uh, things that I would want to do on my own that I would love to see uh, take shape in the real world. But you know, um, at heart, I'm I'm a fanboy, I guess, but not an annoying one. And, uh, <laughs> You're not a mouth breather. I'm not a mouth breather. Um, <laughs> I just I appreciate my comics and I like my heroes and you know I I just want them to have the best stories that they can possibly have. So uh, we've had this conversation before, me and Drew, in the past. Uh, it's just one of the things that we can muse about. So uh, so. I do already have something on the tip of my brain ready to go. Uh, one of the stories that I've always wanted to tell is I've always wanted to tell my version of a Namor story. Mm -hmm. um, and, uh, I mean, if we're going to go with artists, uh, I, you know what? I'm going to give a shout out to my friend Edmund He. Like, I would, you know, I, I've always wanted to work on something with him but we're just we're just both very lazy <laughs> <laughs> so we're not helping each other certainly not um yeah my um the idea that i always had for a namor story was one that 
I kind of wanted to take the idea of Namor and build out, build around it. Uh, I wanted to go from a more historical perspective, so I really wanted to tell a Namor story that was that had political intrigue because um, I was really fascinated with the idea of him being the monarch of his nation. Um, I'm sure we see a lot of that now in Ta-Nehisi Coates' Black Panther, but uh, so like you, this was an idea I came up with years ago, so it's, it's hard for me to say that uh, it probably don't uh, the ideas that I'm talking about now probably don't feel quite as fresh or quite as new mm-hmm. because other writers have already touched they on They stole your ideas, man. They stole them in a dream, exactly. They used but... telepathy and extracted them from your <laughs> personal imagination. How uh, dare used... they? Exactly. It was, it was Inception. They snuck in. They snuck in. Exactly. <laughs> or they used brain slugs like in Wrath of Khan. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but yeah, I wanted to do a story that was about uh, basically the surface world's first interaction, or yeah, first interaction with Atlantis, and I wanted it to be a story about how. And it'd be hard to do now because so much of the world is already established. But it'd be a story about how, basically, in the past, the the world superpowers go to Atlantis and they find that there are resources there. And, you know, this is around the time of uh, World War II and colonialization. So, like like any good world power, uh, what ends up happening is they go into Atlantis and they vie for spheres of influence and basically use their superior technology to um, colonialize Atlantis and... Uh, I want. I wanted it to be a story that took place over the span of decades, so you kind of saw the progression of this country because of, uh, or how it progressed under those conditions, and how Namor, you know, would persevere as king in spite of those conditions. You know, um, yeah. But it, again, this would be a harder story to to do because they've already established a long time ago that Namor. You know, that Atlantis was this already technologically superior nation, so um, I'd have to retcon that or something. But, yeah. Yeah. That is my idea. Sweet. Sweet. Do you want me to go for a question, or... Yeah, man. Yeah, what you got? What you got? Alright. So, in these uh, quarantine times, I can't help but think about questions related to these. So you know what? I so I, I I'd have to. I'm gonna admit right now these are questions that I just came up with. That's and, fine. Um, and they are in large part related to just current circumstances. So you know, you'll see where my head was at. But I'm I'm gonna start off with an easy one. Um. So what is a comic? that is binge-worthy? What is a series that is binge-worthy that you would recommend for someone who's looking for something to binge during isolation? Hmm. It's a good question. 
Yep. Zach, you, you got an answer off the top of your head? Um, I feel like I got to think about it. Yeah, yeah, I, I got a couple, but I do want to take a second to think about that one. Here, let me, I'll... Yeah, here, go ahead, I can, I can, let me, like, expand on it a little more, just... I'm not going to say that these are hard and fast uh, criteria that you have to hold yourself to, but just in terms of what I was thinking about when I was trying to come up with something... Um, so, uh, with with the quarantine going on and with everybody being restricted to staying at home, um, I think the first thing that jumped out at me was it has to be something... Well, other than the fact that it has to be something good, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's got to be something long. I want, you know, it's just something that is massively long and something that is so good that it just keeps you coming back to it. Um, mm-hmm. you know, just so that you really get your money's worth of out of the experience, you know, you really get your value out of the experience and you really get, make the best use of your time. So, for sure. yeah, so, you know, for those of you that are listening, you know, if, if you're under quarantine, I mean, not if, but since you're under quarantine, this is a good opportunity for you to take something and, you know what, take it as a binge recommendation uh, that you can maybe seek out and, you know, give patronage to your local comic book shop so that you got something to to read that's lengthy and fun. Yeah, actually, now that you mentioned that, um, I do have a couple. Um, I would definitely throw out Gotham Central. Um, mm-hmm. And I think for my other pick at the moment, even though there's probably a bunch more that are going to come to mind and couple minutes here actually there are more that are cycling through my mind uh, but a big one the big one that uh, pops to the top right now is uh, Watchmen it's moderately long it's not like the longest graphic novel ever but it's dense it's dense it's dense it's right super dense. so yeah it will it will definitely give you food for thought and it'll give you some things to wrestle with and what's gonna happen is probably you'll read it it'll blow your mind and you'll be like man I gotta go back and read that again and those are kind of my favorite types of reads. Like it, it's long mm-hmm. enough to keep you engaged, but it's also dense enough that you can go back to it and keep getting new things out of it. Um, I first read Watchmen, man, probably almost eight or nine years ago. But like every time I come back to it, it's, it's like the Matrix. You know, there's like something new or a new idea or something that pops out from it. So uh, definitely highly recommended. And then. Uh, Gotham Central, just like the level of, of writing and nuance and character development, um, and that is kind of a longer, uh, kind of a longer series in terms of the issues that are involved. Um, the art is stellar, the story is stellar. Um, it just has that that it's almost like watching a, a police procedural or something on TV, except it's in comic book form. So mm-hmm. if you're if you're into like SVU or, or something like that, it's a little bit like that. Um, but it does but better have, exactly <laughs> but it does a lot better yeah, yeah. so yeah for, for and now, that's are... a good choice I think it's pretty relevant right now if only because I, I don't want to attribute it to you know things that should not be named but um, there is a show out so it, it, it's more popular than ever or at least it's more in the consciousness than ever but it's still better than the show in all likelihood <laughs> Wait, you're talking about Gotham Central? 
Oh no, I was talking about Watchmen. Oh okay. Yeah. Got it. Yeah. yeah. I I feel like there was um, there was a tension that was brought back to it because of the HBO show, but you should read yeah. it because it's Watchmen, not because of the HBO show. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not into the show or anything like that. I don't I don't support any Watchmen sequel because they're doing it without Alan Moore's consent. Um Yeah, so just uh uh Zach, are you able to give or Zach or Drew just um uh, can you give the uh the creative talents behind Watchmen and Gotham Central? Just just so our listeners know. Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, Watchmen obviously by it. Alan Moore and Dave Gibbons, with uh, coloring by John Higgins. Definitely got to check that. It's a classic. I mean, I, I think yeah. anybody who knows anything about superhero comics eventually finds their way to Watchmen, and uh, you know, it's like the pretty much the cream of the crop as far as uh, adult-oriented superhero storytelling goes. Gotham sure. Central was a run from DC Comics. Uh, co-written by Ed Brubaker and Greg Rucka with art by Michael Lark uh, Kano, Stefano Gaudiano yeah I think they were the main the primary artists um, yeah it's it's a great read I think it was what like 40 issues Zach I can't remember yeah yeah it had to be somewhere up in like uh, 39 40 issue range yeah okay nice 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 Thank you for sharing that. Uh, Drew, do you have anything? Um, I'd say if, in terms of just good comics that are long, like I, I was thinking, part, part of me I was thinking, is there something particular that people want to read during uh, quarantine? Because, um, you, know, you know, some people might want to read something that takes their mind off their circumstances. Maybe for some people this is like a real stressful time or you know there's like a certain uncertainty or fear so maybe they don't want something that kind of uh <laughs> you know plays yeah. plays more upon those fears right like sometimes people just want escapism and fun which is fine let's not um, make it more stressful for people <laughs> yeah like like would, would you really would do people are people in the mood at this time uh to read something post-apocalyptic you know like do people want to read the walking dead or something i mean that's something that's long and it's good yeah. But are people in the mood for it? I don't know. I mean, yeah. to me, it doesn't really matter because my primary consideration is, is this thing good? Yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah, so yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, like, to me, I'm not really affected by by escapism and, and things like that. Um, so so for me, I would just say anything that, that's good. So some examples would be, you know, a lot of the things that we talked about in our uh, Marvel Top 25 countdown, uh, people are into superhero comics. Like, definitely, Ultimate Spider-Man comes to yeah. mind. You know, that's one of the, that's, that's like a hundred something plus issues. Yeah, like two hundred something issues. If you yeah. look at Bendis's entire, and it's, it's pretty much the definitive Spider-Man story for our time. I would say, maybe yeah. of all time. Um, you know, Walt Simonson's Thor. We just talked about uh, Frank Miller's Daredevil. Obviously, uh, Peter Milligan's Ecstatics, things like you know anything on the list would would, would be would be great. Um, Brute Baker's Captain America. Uh, another one that came to my mind was uh, Invincible by Kirkman and Ryan Otley, which we talked about in our uh, episode where we just made superhero recommendations. Yeah. As far as like non-superhero stuff, 
you know, there's always the perennial classics. You know, I'm, I'll be thinking about other Vertigo comics like Why the Last Man or Transmetropolitan. Uh, yeah, you know, there, there's the, the list goes on. Like, I, we could yeah. just rattle. I could just be rattling titles off uh, all day long. Uh, but you know, those are things to you can get started with. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Um, I was gonna ask. Um, you know, this is something that I, you know, uh, I have, there's information that I'm privy to, so, but I'm gonna use it anyways, but, uh, was there anything that you read recently, Drew, that was lengthy and that, you know, the shelter in place allowed you to make good time of? Yeah, one thing that I just read the entire run of was this, uh, a Vertigo comic called The Unwritten, by Mike Carey and Peter Gross. Um, so that that series was, uh, I believe it was a 59 issue uh, ongoing series. And then there was an original graphic novel and there was also a 12 issue mini series to close it out. So all in all, you know, it's probably around like 75, almost 80 issues worth of content. And I, I, I was able to read the entire thing um, during the shelter in place so far. And, and that that's something where I was able to collect all the issues from a quarter bin <laughs> and <laughs> I felt really good about that. <laughs> and it was it was a great story. Nice, nice, nice. Definitely would recommend it to anyone who just wants to read something that's a, it's it's a it basically unravels the metafiction of of um, literature essentially. It it's Yeah. It's a little bit complex to describe right now, so I think I would just say rec- I recommend it. Um, if you want to learn more <laughs> about it, just look it up on Wikipedia. But yeah, it, it, yeah Mike Carey and Peter Gross, it, it's some great stuff, and it's about the power of books and literature, which is something that you know we can never have too much of. Yeah, I think it's sort of hard for a lot of... It's. I don't think too many people read books that are about books or about reading which is kind of a weird topic or subject, but mm-hmm. I think as a reader or as someone that reads a lot, that's that's part of the, I guess, challenge of being able to read about anything, right? Like if you're just consuming um, narrative and, you know, uh, stories, like I do think there's something interesting in reading something that makes you ponder about the things that you're reading you know the nature of yeah. stories you know so yeah, absolutely so i dig that i dig that um well i'm nowhere near as high-minded as either of these two because <laughs> i was just thinking about the walking dead <laughs> by robert Kirkman. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think um, you know with everything that's going on I fully understand escapism and I understand that there are some people that uh, aren't able to derive entertainment from the things that are going on in the world around us and just all the stresses and if that's the case I wouldn't maybe I wouldn't recommend The Walking Dead to to those people <laughs> because it would it might just add to your stress but um, you're gonna I, recommend it anyway. I'm gonna recommend it 
because that's how I enjoy, or that's how I deal with my anxiety. <laughs> just I just like to take it to the head and just rub that nerve raw until all feelings are dead in me, and all that comes out is entertainment and joy. <laughs> wow. So... Yeah, it's um, The Walking Dead is by Robert Kirkman, and um, its uh, co-creators Tony Moore and Charlie Adler, and uh, I, I'm I'm hard pressed to say that there anyone who hasn't or who doesn't know anything about this, just because you know it's kind of one of the biggest things around it's a pop culture phenomenon because of exactly. the TV show. Exactly, but. Um, the series just ended recently, so if you really wanted to read it and get your hands on it, you can get it all now. It's it's like what is it, like a hundred sixty something issues or something like that? Uh, Might have been uh like around one hundred ninety three. Ninety three, yeah, one hundred ninety three. Yeah. So it is one hundred ninety three issues of just life in the zombie apocalypse. It's uh, nowhere near as high minded as something like Waiting for Godot, where. You know, it makes you think about what's it mean to be in the post-apocalypse. It is just, although there are elements of that, um, you know, uh, in the subtext, but I will say that it's just fun, you know, post-apocalyptic survival storytelling. It's not for kids, I'll tell you that much right now, <laughs> up front. So, you know, if you're looking for something for uh, a for someone for, of a particular age, that ain't it. Uh, but... That's something that I was thinking of to recommend, uh, just because it's a very long story and it's it's entertaining. It's entertaining. Um, you know, if another, you're, another thing I, th I just thought of. Uh, sorry, to, I didn't mean to cut you off or anything. Were you uh, still going to say something about Walking Dead? No, we'll, we'll we'll take care of it offline. Um, uh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what that means. Nice. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> I'll box your ears. <laughs> Go. Uh, I was I was gonna say if if uh, people are thinking about just th things that are really long to read, you know, there's a lot of manga series that have been, you know, they're like thousands and thousands of pages too, you know. So that's true. that that could be another option. I mean, I mean, we we talked about Akira, but even that's not that long. I mean, that's there's not things that long, like, relatively speaking. No. Yeah, there's things like One Piece or or something you know that's been going on for decades. Yeah, I mean, like I don't great. even know if you would catch up with One Piece. Yeah, during quarantine, unless you were that's, like that's super diligent. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Naruto is another like really really long one. Yeah. Oh heck, Dragon Ball, dude, that goes on. That's you know, there are just volumes of that stuff. Yeah, yeah, there's a lot of ongoing manga that people could catch up on, too. Yeah. You know, one of these days we should have a, a an all-manga episode, because I feel like we don't really talk about it too much. Yes. Yeah, it's I, I think that's totally worth uh, totally worth talking about. Yeah, yeah, yeah we all do yeah. read a fair amount, probably not as much as, like, mainstream, but we do read a fair amount of manga comics, but yeah, it's like we, we never talk about it for some reason. Hmm. All right, nice, next nice. question, Albert. Oh, okay. Um, so the next question that I came up with, and again, this is a uh, this is a window into my soul. But <laughs> uh, what comics 
do you think cover isolation well? Whew. Or another way is like, what's a what's a story or a comic that you can think of that discusses or that tells uh yeah discusses the theme of isolation or personifies that theme is there a story or a comic that you have in mind that that covers that either of you do you have one zach um not offhand i'm thinking about it okay because the first thing that i thought of immediately was i am legend nice nice so this is a, a novel I'm thinking of the novel not not the Will Smith movie um, which wasn't as good as the novel but the the novel yeah. um, I'm talking about the original prose novel written by Richard Matheson that's probably my favorite story about human loneliness I've ever read like that that story is powerful um, and if you actually do want a comic there is a comic book adaptation I would recommend um, I think the adaptation was by uh, Steve Niles and uh, shoot I can't remember who the artist was um, yeah I, I, I can't remember who, who drew the comic book adaptation but yeah it was Steve Niles who handled uh, the who handled it um, along with an artist and it, it's a, a comic book adaptation of the novel which was very true to the prose novel um, so he he didn't actually cut too much of the original text um, and it's just well illustrated uh, and again if you if you watched the movie I would say the movie kind of misses the point of the of the novel it, it isn't it's it misses a lot of what makes the novel a great novel um, so even if you didn't like the movie I would recommend uh, reading the book or the comic adaptation I just looked it up, and just so you know, the art is by Elman Brown. Yes, that's right. <clears throat> yeah, he's a guy that I don't really know too much about his work. I think they actually did that adaptation for an indie publisher back in... It might have either been the late 80s or early 90s. Um, I think there's still a trade paperback of it. The, the one I have in my collection was published by, I think, IDW um, at least like 10 or 15 years ago, so... Yeah, I don't, I don't know if it's still readily available, um, but at the very least, I would recommend seeking out the novel. Nice, nice. Um, do you have anything, Zach, or are you still mulling it? Yeah, I, I mean, one thing that did come to mind was that series Local. Um, it's not necessarily about isolation. I wouldn't say that the main theme is isolation per se, but the character... In, in that series um, for much of the series you're just with her inside her head she is by herself um, she's sort of like just skipping around all these different towns in the country uh, kind of just looking for something and, and struggling with with very personal issues in her own life so you're kind of just taking the journey it's not necessarily uh, like an inner monologue the whole time but you're taking a very psychological journey like with the character it's very much inside her own mind for most of the story mm -hmm. I would agree with that um, the issues that I read it's you don't get an inner monologue you don't hear her like her thoughts but they communicate it through its art where 
there are a lot of quiet moments in that comic where you're just watching her, and it's uh, it's meditative, I'd say. Yeah, it's a it's a comic where I think every issue she moves to a different location, so there's you get this sense of her, uh, you know, never really fitting in at a single place too long because I think each issue takes place during a different year of her life. So from issue one through issue twelve, her uh, you see her grow up, but she's always moving from place to place, never staying in one place very long. So there's definitely a sense of her, for some reason or other either not fitting in or not feeling comfortable with where she's been yeah yeah mm. yeah local by uh written brian by wood. brian wood and art by ryan kelly i think published by oni press yeah. um you guys have any other ones or i could i could throw some in myself yeah what you got albert yeah go for it well uh when i was thinking about the question the first comic that came up to me was the hulk the end oh that's a great yeah, one yeah, that's a good one it is by peter david and dale kion i think that's how you pronounce it um mm -hmm. kion? kion i'm not sure kion! <laughs> <laughs> so the premise of this story is uh it came out during a period where marvel was doing uh, these they were doing they were pretending to do the the very last story for each of these popular Marvel characters. So the idea was if this was the very last Hulk story, what would it be about? And what we see in the Hulk the end is we see Bruce Banner slash the Hulk in the distant future. Everything else on the planet has died except for the Hulk and these giant mutated cockroaches, radioactive mutated cockroaches, and a lot of the comic is just the Hulk surviving, but at the same time, it's also uh, Bruce Banner and the Hulk contending with the idea that at the end of time, all they have is each other, and there is no one left to talk about, or talk talk with rather and it's it's a pitiable story you know yeah I, I, again this this might not be the best thing for someone to read <laughs> given the <laughs> given uh from what this, i remember uh bruce banner wants to die because he's tired of being the last man alive and the hulk won't let him because he's exactly. spiteful <laughs> exactly the hulk just wants to live and he hates bruce banner and they're just stuck with each other yeah, and uh, again, it's not something that uh, might be for everyone given current circumstances, but it is a moving story, and uh, it's powerful stuff, man. It's powerful stuff. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Uh, the other comic that I was thinking of that that covers isolation in a different way is it's something you mentioned earlier, but. Why the Last Man by Brian mm -hmm. K. Vaughn and Pia Guerrera. Um, it's a story that is built around the premise of what if you were the last man on Earth? Would you? Would it be really as great a thing as every guy has ever envisioned it to be? And it, I can emphatically say, it probably isn't. 
<laughs> wait, wait, hang on. But there's, there's people who envision that as a great thing. I don't. Why would you want to be the last man? And I'm assuming everyone else is female at that point. Yeah, that sounds like well, a big problem. Well, huh? it's correct. It's yeah, exactly. So I was just about to go into it, but um, yeah, the the idea that a lot of you know, uh, it, it's just an offhanded sort of thing to think about. But there are guys who who think about how awesome it would be if you were the only man on earth and you know you just kind of had access to all these women and Brian K. Vaughn takes that idea and just I don't know if he flips it on his head but he's not lowbrow like that yeah he's not he's not but right from the get-go you just see that it sucks <laughs> you know like realistically speaking it sucks and the the isolation that I think it talks about is, yeah, uh, Yorick Brown, the main character in the story, he's he's not the last person on Earth, but as the last man, he's isolated from everybody else on an emotional level and just by the very virtue of the fact that there are no other men around, you know? Yeah, that's a great piece of... Uh... I guess apocalyptic or post-apocalyptic fiction. Um, yeah, that, that's that's something that is an all-time comic, man. I think yeah. when we do our top 25 DC comics, that that's probably going to be on there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, you know, I'm I'm just giving it sort of the brief, um, the brief synopsis right now because I imagine that we're going to talk about it in depth at some point. But uh, I like I, you know, just in just wanted to mention like in terms of fiction that covers isolation i do think that um that it counts yeah totally man that's a that's a great choice an insightful pick uh should we move on to the next question yeah i'll I'll, here here's a a question that uh, i think will be a pretty simple question um just for fun just to you know change things up but the question is, before his family was murdered, do you think Frank Castle, the Punisher, was a good father? <laughs> <laughs> Oof. Oof. Man, I thought you said this was going to be simple. <laughs> <laughs> You're putting a lot of thought into <laughs> a pretty silly question <laughs> about uh, a fictional yeah. <laughs> Zach, you got anything? Um... Yeah, I think he's probably an average father. Like, I'm sure he had flaws or something. <laughs> but, I mean, given what he becomes after that, there's there's obviously some skeletons in the closet there. So, there is, I mean, you see the Punisher, and we all know what he is, but anywhere before that, I would say there's probably at least a substantial amount of dualism to the character as well. There's two sides to everyone, and I think whatever his two sides are, are more polarized than a normal person would be. I'm gonna, yeah. I'm gonna just take the easy route, and I'm gonna say, I'm sure he was a good father. He was a loving father. (laughs) He was many things. He was a (laughs) Vietnam veteran. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. You gotta respect him for serving his country. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I forget, what was his day job? Was he a, he wasn't a cop, was he? Uh, I think after the war, he was, he was just, I don't even know if he had a job, honestly. 
Oh, he was just victim in waiting. Could <laughs> <laughs> you put it like that? I mean. Professional, <laughs> professional murder suspect, <laughs> or, or not murder suspect, but uh, <laughs> martyr. <laughs> yeah, you know what? I'd, I mean, I'd have to to look in in uh, some comics and or Wikipedia or something. But uh, did he even? When he when his family was murdered, was he just back on on leave in between tours, or or did he actually uh, get an honorable discharge from the military and and he was just like trying to figure out his next steps in life? I'm not. I don't I remember. Was, I was always under the presumption that he was he was done. He ended his tour. Okay. Um, I feel like the show or the movie made him out to be a cop, but I don't. Those were the only times I ever saw those references. Yeah. Like, I don't think that was the case. You, you know what I gotta do? I gotta pick up uh, The Punisher, Born, and flip through it and, and see what yeah. happens there. Because I, I can't remember. He was he was an accountant. He was an accountant. Uh, he dealt with numbers all day. You know? Yeah, like the number of bullets in his clip, the number of people he was going to kill. He, he, uh, he, he was really old school. He, he did his math on an abacus. He was uh, employee of the month. <laughs> well, you know, yeah, just imagine Frank Castle, uh, you know, being a computer programmer or something. Yeah. <laughs> no, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, him becoming the Punisher and having to deal with that all day, that makes a lot of sense to me. I think I would, too. <laughs> he hated his cubicle job so much. He used to go out every night and make the world sane. <laughs> See, the thing that they don't tell you is... <laughs> He just needed them to murder his family so that he could have an excuse to go ham. <laughs> he was like, if I have to do another purchase order, I swear. <laughs> so, yeah, Frank Castle was a great father. Obviously. <laughs> at least an average father. <laughs> he was at least an average father, yeah. Do you have another question, Drew? Here's one. Do you think Garfield and Snoopy should have a crossover? Why or why not? And I guess the other aspect is, you know, if you think they should, what would the story be? Garfield and Snoopy. I think I would be down to see a celebrity death match between Garfield and Snoopy. Um, ooh. <laughs> ooh. But besides that, I don't know. I, I would question how interested I'd, see, I'd be in seeing, like, a, a crossover event with them. I'm uh, I'm a little cynical, so I'm at the point where I do. There's a part of me that does feel that um, I do have affection for them both, but they are both kind of past their prime. So we're, we're at that point where why not have a crossover? You know. Mm-hmm. Um, in regards to what story they would tell. Uh, I don't know. There are a couple rolling around in my head. I would love. There's there's a part of me that jumps at the idea of them doing a comic strips version of Fables or something, <laughs> where you know all the famous comic strip characters that we we've known, not just Garfield and Snoopy, but Beetle Bailey and Blondie and Hagar the Horrible and Dennis the Menace, they all coexist in the same world together. And, <laughs> you know, they just kind of. I, I'm not going to say that they have adventures, but it's really just about them uh, resolving their dynamics. 
you know, in this, it could be a meta commentary on them on on their existence now that they're well past their primes. <laughs> sure, sure, <laughs> that that works. Yeah, yeah. For me, when when I heard this question, I think my immediate response in my mind was. They could have a crossover, but I, I don't think I would care too much. Um, I, I would say I don't have too much nostalgia for Garfield, but Peanuts—that's you know—that's a top five comic strip of all time. And I was gonna say that that uh, I care too much about the artistic integrity of the strip for them to stoop so low, but you know what? <laughs> that doesn't really exist either because. Snoopy sells life insurance, <laughs> so exactly. it doesn't really, I don't really care, you yeah. know, what they do. Um, you know, I, I think if they if they just did anything together, um, a strip together with Garfield and Snoopy, and as long as it makes people happy, you know, I, that that's fine with me. You know, just it's just something to put a smile on people's face. You know? Yeah, agreed. Nice. It, it's not like it's not like they're not tainting, art. Yeah, they're not they're not tainting anything by doing that. You know? Yeah. Okay. Here's a question from our buddy Shanus. He's actually got two questions, and and uh, I'll start with the easier one, or at least I think it's easier to answer. His question is, why does DC keep on doing crisis stories that are terrible? So, crisis stories like Crisis on Infinite Earths. Uh, there was Identity Crisis, Infinite Crisis. Uh, I guess Flashpoint counts as a crisis. Uh, well, isn't Zero ever a crisis? They did establish that there are five crises, right? Or something like that? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I would say Final Crisis is a great comic. I'll defend Final Crisis by Grant Morrison any day of the week. Um, but yeah, all these other crises comics... Uh, well, to be honest, I don't I don't even know if I could say they get a bum rap, but I know that uh, Shanice and I don't really like them. I think it's all due to... This might be... This might be pretentious of me to say, but... <clears throat> it's It all goes back to the original sin of the original Crisis on Infinite Earths. Mm -hmm. So I think it was something that just did so well that it became a big, not only a big moneymaker for them, but it became a big part of the, like, the cornerstone of DC Comics. So it was a well that they could keep dipping their pen back in, you know? Right. So, like, I'm not going to say, well, yeah, the, the, the two views I take is uh, the money-making aspect, which is it is... It is something that they can trot out there and just on the name recognition alone they can get a very particular kind of fan to keep coming back to it. And uh, on top of that, there are those same kinds of fans that might be working within the organization who have a lot of affection for, for like that. John. Yeah, ex well, yeah, exactly, and they're at a point where they want to, to them it means a lot, the idea of a crisis happening to the entire DC universe 
or multiverse or the multiverse that it, it that's an idea that means a lot to them that they want to continue dipping their pen into that particular well because for them that's the you know the uh, the line or the limit or the standard that they hold you know world ending stories to you know mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and the other thing that I was that I just thought up now uh, in addition to that is DC for some weird reason does have a hang up about the passage of time in their comics so this might be a less uh, important reason as far as as my opinion goes but Mm-hmm. Uh, I do think that they're constantly looking for ways to reconcile the timeline or reconcile the passage of time in those comics. They because, love their continuity, don't they? Yeah, they do, and they're hung up on it, and it's just like, why don't you just, you know, it's 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 not that big of a deal. Like, I don't need to, like, I don't need to sit here and ask myself uh, why Clark Kent works for a newspaper when newsprint is dying now. Like, I... <laughs> Just, you know what, just tweak it and make it work, and I don't need the universe to end in order to have him be a blogger or something. (laughs) I like him being a 1920s newspaper man. Here's a scoop for you, Charlie! (laughs) Newsflash! (laughs) Al Capone, caught in the rig! <laughs> you guys have any thoughts why does dc keep on doing crisis stories that are terrible well the simple answer is because they hate us that's why <laughs> i think that about summarizes it thanks drew well there is another thing uh that i forgot to mention they're incompetent <laughs> <laughs> <Nice>. <laughs> No, actually, in- we're in an era where the event-driven superhero comic is has become an annual uh, thing that each of the big two do every year in order to drum up sales. So they're constantly just trying to make things seem important, quote unquote, um, important. Um, yeah. And when you do that every year, it doesn't seem very important. <laughs> yeah. You know, like. Every time they do a crisis story, it feels like, oh, this is the end of the multiverse. This is, uh, you know, the final crisis. And then, you know, years later, here's another crisis. Yeah. Um, well, the thing is, it feels like in recent years, they've been coming faster and faster and more frequently. Like, yeah. And, and you know, the word crisis has become one of those key words for DC Comics. and It's a buzz really, word for them. Yeah. I read Heroes in Crisis uh, last year, and it wasn't really a cosmic crisis, but I think it was just a story that Tom King wanted to tell. That, And I, I don't know if he was the one who decided to use the word crisis in the title, but I guess how, whatever reason they use that word, um, you know, they made it, basically made it seem, like the marketing of it made it seem like, oh, this is, you know, a really a important story. Yeah, like everybody has to has to read it. This is big stuff because it's, it's got the word crisis in it and and 
I will say I enjoy that story more than something like Flashpoint. You know, it's got merit to it, even though I think a lot of people had a lot of hate on it. Mm. Um, but I think that just goes to show how little respect and and how <laughs> how little yeah how little respect I have for the majority of the mainstream comics buying public. Uh, I have like their their tastes are vastly different from mine, and maybe for them uh, when they hear the word crisis, they were expecting you know something that would shake the very foundations of the DC multiverse. But Tom King was really just giving a, a psychological drama, which was fine with me. I mean, do I really think that that's how Wally West or The Flash would act, the way he was portrayed in the story? No. But, dude, he's a fictional character. He doesn't exist, so what do I care? <laughs> you know? Exactly. Like, exactly. Like people are like, man, Wally would never do that. But then yeah. I read it and I'm like, dude, Wally's never done anything. <laughs> <laughs> For reals. Like... I get that we value our comics and we value the stories, but I'm past that point in my life where I, I have to sit here and be like, it has to be a certain way. It's like, you know what? If I read it and I don't like it, I can move on from that. This isn't going to be the thing that I'm going to... This isn't the hill that I'm, I choose to die on. It really isn't. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know? At the end of the day, was it good? That's all that matters. Yeah, that's the, that's the ultimate question right there. Yeah. I don't need it to like line up to any imaginary template because my brain can't handle the <laughs> fact that an imaginary character isn't behaving the way that that imaginary character is supposed to, quote-unquote, supposed to behave. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> You're telling me that Felix the Cat would be friends with Garfield? <laughs> <laughs> that's outrageous it's unfair <laughs> you have any thoughts about the question Zach uh, not really like in all honesty I actually haven't read most of the crossover stuff so you know I can't really legitimately comment on it but I do know that trend of basically everything you were saying of having that event or that crossover or whatever every year even when I was little and I used to read Marvel comics. That used to happen. And, it, you know, it wasn't that great when they did it either. So definitely it seems like mm -hmm. that trend uh, is a marketing tool and it has continued, which that doesn't really surprise me much at all. Yeah. All right. And here's uh, Shanice's second question, which is a tougher question. I don't even know if I have a great answer for this, but his question is, why is Diamond Comics the only distributor of comic books, and why do they have terrible handling of comic book retailer concerns and try to shove pointless products at stores in such a way that not buying these undesirable products puts that store in an unfavorable allocation quantity? So, cool. yeah, he, he is a, you know... A, is there a way to dumb that down a few shades? <laughs> why, why, is Diamond, why does Diamond have a monopoly, and how, do they hurt the, how does that hurt the industry? Okay. Um, I think the short answer is, uh, I think Diamond exists in that weird place where it's an industry that the government doesn't care about that much, but then th at the same time, they also make enough money where in order for them to maintain their status quo, they can spend just enough money to keep their interests 
uh, going the way that they are, you know? Mm -hmm. So it kind of hits that weird sweet spot of, it's not big enough that the government cares about it, but it's also big enough that uh, they they can throw money at it to, to make sure that things stay the way that they are, which is in their favor. Yeah, and also the first question kind of answers the second one. Um, if you are the biggest, I won't say the only, but pretty much at this point the biggest man in the field, then you can sort of just shove everyone else off the hill, right? You can kind of do what you want, slide by with it. And you set your own exactly. rules. And sort of uh, rig the game in your favor, which is, in a sense, in a lot of instances, that's what they've done, not only with publishers or people wanting to have their material put out, um, but a lot of times even creators or independent creators in the past, I mean, if you wanted to get your stuff out, um, at some point you'd have to interact with Diamond. I mean, if you wanted to do it in a big way, you would have to interact with Diamond. So that's not an accident. They, yeah. they kind of they kind of rigged it so it would be that way, you know? Yeah, yeah. what I know about the history of Diamond, um, do you guys remember... Uh, I don't have all the dates proper. Um, I mean, I'd have to look it up on Wikipedia or, or some other source. Um, but back in there was some time several decades ago when Marvel actually had their own distributor called Heroes World or they bought this distributor called Heroes World and that pretty much all went to hell um, and messed things up um, didn't work out for the direct market and that's why Diamond ended up being the this ultimate survivor and they've maintained a monopoly ever since so I guess for, for people who, who aren't really like super into the comics industry what Diamond Comics is is they're the primary, they're the only, well, they were the only distributor of comic books to the direct market. And the direct market is comic book stores, so stores that just sell comics. Um, so if you want, you know, your issues of whatever the latest superhero comic is, you can only get that um, from Diamond. Uh, if when Back when there were bookstores like Barnes & Noble and Borders and stuff like that, the trade paperbacks, you could get those from a, a book distributor, I think. So, you know, that... That wasn't necessarily uh, um, reliant on Diamond, but for um, comic book stores, they relied on Diamond exclusively um, because there was no other choice. And recently, because of the pandemic, uh, what there's actually been some shakeups in the industry. Even now, like I, I don't really know how things are going to play out. But what happened was. Uh, Maybe about a month ago, or a little bit more than a month ago, Diamond actually stopped shipping comics entirely. So no new comics were coming to stores, and I guess it didn't really matter too much because most stores were, you know, they had to close down because of shelter-in-place orders and, and things, uh, you know, the government shut down orders and things like that. Um, so Diamond actually recently said that they would begin shipping new comics again uh, in May. Uh, like, I think towards, like, around May 20th or something. But several weeks ago, DC Comics actually announced that they're going to have their two new distributors, one serving the West Coast, one serving the East Coast, two new distributors distributing their comics um, because Diamond wasn't doing it during this time. And the thing that's pretty crazy is... The two new distributors they have are actually the two largest uh, comic book stores in America. So Midtown Comics in New York City and um, 
the discount comic book service, which is a, a kind of a discount mail order service for comics. So, yeah, it's a pretty weird concept to have these two people, two entities that, you know, they used to receive things from, from Diamond, but now they're the ones that are going to be distributing the comics to, uh, you know, essentially their local competitors um, all over the country. So, wow. yeah, so that that's that's a pretty strange twist for the industry. Um, and then when Diamond announced that they were... Sorry, what was that? I was going to say, it's going to be interesting to see how that looks when this is all over. Yeah, yeah, so... Diamond's going to start shipping again uh, later this month. And it sounds like DC is still going to continue using uh, Discount Comic Book Service and Midtown Comics um, as well. So, uh, yeah, I, I don't really know what's going to happen. Uh, I think a lot of retailers weren't too happy when DC decided to go with these two other uh, distributors. Like, for one, it, it doesn't really make too much sense because the way that it was rolled out was pretty insensitive um dc basically made an announcement on a f on a friday and they were like we're gonna start uh shipping these comics out in a couple weeks and if you want to make your order you got to order by uh monday so people only have like a weekend to decide you know and keep in mind this is a, a time when comic book stores most comic book stores have to be closed you know like they're not supposed to be open it's yeah you know where everybody's in a shelter-in-place order. At, at most, comic book stores are doing uh, maybe maybe curbside pickup if it's allowed in the area, or they're doing mail-order services. So it's like a weird time to trying to be order trying to be ordering uh, new comics or or things like that. You know, yeah, that's pretty crazy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, ordinarily, I'd say that the introduction of something that can compete with Diamond is a good thing just because Diamond has been the cause of a lot of like <laughs> headaches over the past couple of years. Mm -hmm. But I can see how other comic stores would be mad, especially if you know, if it feels like DC is just giving support to these really big comic shops. It feels like it's the rich giving to the rich. I mean, I, I, I feel like that's an argument that someone could plausibly make, but I don't know. It, it it's it'll be interesting to see how this shakes up when it's all over. Seriously. Yeah, it's it's just a weird thing to think about because it's basically like saying if you were um, I don't know like a like a let's say a bookstore like an independent yeah. bookstore. Um, and all of a sudden, instead of ordering your books from Ingram or whatever the book main book distributor is, you could only order it from Amazon. <laughs> you know, yeah. that's it's a weird. It's kind of like that. It's it's a weird concept to wrap your head around. It's like, why would you want to do something like that? Yeah. But yeah, it, once once things kind of settle down from the situation, it's going to be interesting to see what the comics industry is like because I I really don't know. And I, people are still trying to ponder it and figure out how things can shake out. Yeah, I agree with that. I think it's just going to be interesting to see how things play out. Um, I'm sort of curious to know, I guess, more details of how the deal took place, like how it was actually made, uh, how that's going to affect things moving forward. I think um, that the introduction of more competition at this point is probably a good thing. Um, the timing of it probably could have been a lot better. 
the rollout <laughs> definitely yeah. could have been better. Um, definitely. But going forward, uh, I think, you know, it's like when you throw uh, rocks in a pond, it causes ripples. So I'm just curious to see uh, what those ripples are going to look like. Yeah. Yeah, the, the whole pandemic situation has been tough on the comics industry. You know, we some of our stores have already gone out of business because of it. So that's always a sad thing to learn. Yeah. 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 Shout out to Lee's. Yep, Lee's Comics and Mountain, Mountain View. View. Rest in power. Rest in power. You got a question, Albert? Yeah, I got a couple left. Um, I feel like these are kind of the same question, but uh, we can call it, you know degrees of uh, degrees of uh, difference but okay who is the hero best equipped to deal with long periods of isolation hmm. so just long periods of isolation not necessarily with a our specific pandemic situation yes like I, I guess another way to put it is who's a superhero who uh, would be able to thrive in isolation. I guess it depends uh, on his mentality or, or the character's mentality. Like, are you? If it's a character that you know is very comfortable being quiet and just you know staying in his own mind, my, the first yeah. thought that comes to to my head is Black Bolt because he doesn't really talk to anyone anyway. <laughs> <laughs> so he'd be perfectly okay just sitting in a room by himself um, and his own thoughts. That's a good one. I never thought of that. (laughs) (laughs) If we're we're thinking about a character that, you know, oh, man, I can't stand ever being alone, I would have to say Multiple Man because he can just make duplicates of himself to talk to. (laughs) Multiple Man was one I was getting Yeah, that was actually my first pick. (laughs) My my only other one besides that probably is Dr. Manhattan, because he actually did just go off the planet and live on Mars for a while. And he has absolutely no connection to humanity whatsoever, so he'd be fine. Yeah. He would be fine, but I don't know if the rest of us would be (laughs) fine. (laughs) He's so detached from humanity anyways, it barely makes a difference. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, uh, those are good ones. I still haven't really... Yeah, Dr. Manhattan was the one that I was thinking of. I can't really think of one at the moment. Uh, yeah. Yeah, but when you were describing, like, someone who could, you know, just be silent for long hours of, you know, for long hours at a time, I was like, coma man? <laughs> Wait, you were thinking of who? Uh, I, it's not an actual superhero. I was just I just made up a character called Coma Man. You know, Coma, <laughs> Coma like comatose. Okay, <laughs> just someone whose uh, whose power is his ability to be in a coma. <laughs> oh, oh, that's man. pretty good. Yeah. Okay. Um, the other question that I had that was somewhat similar, but I, I guess it's different enough. Um, who is the loneliest superhero? Ooh. The loneliest superhero. 
Anything? Bueller? Bueller? <laughs> Zach? Uh, maybe the Punisher, maybe Frank Castle, because pretty much what he does is, well, when he's like in real, because there was a time when he had an accomplice. I forget what the guy's name is, the dude with the computer equipment. Microchip. Yeah. But whenever he's not with him, it's just him just rolling around in a van killing people. So, I don't know. I think that's pretty lonely. He just There's no one else there. It's just him. Well, I think he would actually... He might actually fit in the category before the, in the question before where he could be one of the heroes who are most equipped to deal with loneliness because... All he has are monsters in his head. <laughs> but, you know, that's debatable. Uh, yeah. Uh, but he was someone that I, I actually did think of. I just forgot. Um, yeah. Drew? Uh, I was going to say the Hulk. Um, that's a good choice. Yeah. I mean, you mentioned Hulk the end earlier. Um, and I think the Hulk is a character... Um, at least in the comic books, he's a character that is always portrayed um, as a pretty lonely figure. Uh, I mean, even when he's part of the Avengers, there's always some aspect or element of the story where it's like, this this dude doesn't really fit in. Um, and when he is just hulking out in his own comics, you know, there's a lot of stories where it's just he he always says Hulk just wants to be left alone, but you kind of get the sense sometimes where his mind is so childlike that he just says that, but he, he wants to be accepted by people. And yeah. and it's just the fact that he's seen as a menace um, and, and tanks are always coming after him and yeah. the military is always after him. Tanks are always shooting at him, attack choppers are coming at him. You know, like he, he just wants to be left alone from... Uh, you know the hardships of of yeah. having to deal with constant attacks, yeah. but it it just feels like yeah he has no real friends to speak of, um, and and he doesn't really understand uh, why things are like that. So yeah. I'd say that makes him a pretty lonely figure. Yeah, I was gonna say that it really feels like when he lashes out and he says you know Hulk just wants to be left alone. It's really more of a coping mechanism than it is, like, a sincere thing that he wants, you know? Yeah. It's more about, it's like you said, it's more, he doesn't really want to be left alone. He just wants them to stop bothering him. Yeah. You know? <laughs> he wants to be around people that will accept him, but he just doesn't want to be shot at. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's pretty acceptable, I think. <laughs> Who yeah. wants to be shot at by anyone? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. What are, that makes sense. I think there's yeah. a bit of a paradox there, too, though, because, I mean, yeah, I agree with everything you guys are saying, but then there's also a sense in which he's never alone. He and Banner are, like, always battling it out, trying to get rid of each other. And their whole thing yeah. is that, in a sense, like, in that sense, they both want to be left alone, but they can't seem to separate from each other. So he's alone, but in another sense, he's never alone. Yeah, that's a good point, too. I think another one that I thought of was uh, the Silver Surfer. and Yeah, I mean, again, another character that we uh, mentioned a little bit earlier in our podcast, but he's a character who 
has always been very contemplative and uh, even though he can soar the spaceways and, and travel to all these, you know, travel throughout the cosmos and experience all sorts of uh, interstellar phenomena, like there's a part of him that is always isolated from everybody else too. He's there's no one, no one else like him really. He's like the only one of his kind, um, and yeah, he he can be among people, but he's never of the people. And I think yeah. that's something that makes him a lonely figure yeah yeah for sure Mm. um not to detract away from our current conversation but there was some uh another story another comic about isolation that uh came to me uh that i wanted to mention uh that we were discussing earlier but there was an issue of the swamp thing by alan moore that i remember um I want to say that it's issue. Hang on a second, Albert. Uh, your voice is kind of cracking. Oh, oh, sorry. How's it now? Through the recording. Oh yeah, How's this is now? better. Okay. So yeah, that's better. There's an issue of the Swamp Thing uh, called. Oh I no, it's, it's back again. Oh. Um, Do you hear it, Zach? Or is it? Is that just me? No, yeah. It sounds like some sort of interference. It's uh, crackling a little bit. Yeah. Oh. Uh. <clears throat> how about now? Any better? Uh, try talking a little bit longer. <clears throat> so the there was one issue on isolation that I wanted to cover, which was... How's yeah, it? that's better. Okay. It was yeah, Swamp Thing, I want to say 56, My Blue Heaven. And Oh, I remember that one. Yeah, it's uh, penciled by Rick Beach. And the thing that I wanted to mention about this was this was a story about how um, Swamp Thing had just had this ordeal with the government and his he was basically separated his consciousness was separated from the body and flung out into the furthest reaches of space and the first thing that he does is he reforms on this planet uh that doesn't have anything but vegetation so he spends time on this planet essentially just building his own utopia he even is able, he even learns to use his power to uh, create a, a replica of the town that he used to live in, as well as he's able to populate this town with people that he used to that that he used to see as, and he was even able to create a mate for himself, the perfect swamp thing mate, which was you know a chick. <laughs> that you know more or less could say everything that he wanted her to say and be everything that he needed her to be and it's just a really powerful story about isolation because towards the end it it all just strikes him how hollow all of this is and even though he's surrounded by you know things that talk to him he's he, he realizes just how alone he is. So, that was another character that... I don't know if he's the loneliest character, but it was a story uh, with the Swamp Thing that explored loneliness and isolation. And uh, it's a... Swamp Thing is definitely something we're going to talk about more in the future, but yeah. that one issue was a pretty great issue. Yeah, good pick, man. That's yeah, a yeah. great pick. 
issue that, 56. That makes me want to go dig my swamp things and reread them. <laughs> yeah. Um. Yeah, but yeah, back to characters that are the loneliest. Uh, here's a question. Mm-hmm. Do you consider Superman to be lonely? Mm. Or is no, loneliness not really? Oh. But what about the idea that you know he's the last of his kind, and I mean, I get emotionally speaking, he's not lonely because he's got people around him. But well, in part of the foundation of his character is the idea that he's the last of his kind, and he does kind of yearn for that connectivity I guess to his culture and his you know others like him yeah I mean I would say that there is definitely a valid argument for that if if someone cited that as um, you know I guess like evidence or facts towards loneliness uh, I wouldn't argue with it I, I think there's there's the basis for that personally I would say that makes him unique but not necessarily uh, yeah. alone or lonely. Uh, the reason, the reason I would say it like that is that there's kind of a dualism there with Superman. I mean, for one, there is, on the one hand, him being the only surviving remnant of this alien species. Yeah, in that sense, he's alone. But another part of the whole concept of the character is sort of the concept of adoption. He's adopted the human race um, as. For more, for intents and purposes, for all intents and purposes, more or less, he's adopted the human race as his own, um, and he kind of looks after it like his own. Um, and then at times, the human race sort of sees him as something that they want to aspire to be. So it's sort of like a story of, of integration, even though he's he's separate. If that makes sense, he's from a different place, but he part of the concept of the character is him trying to integrate into this place that he's been put into. Yeah. Nice. That makes sense to me. I, I would agree with that. And I, I would also say, yeah, like Zach was saying, you know, it's like if people used uh, what you shared, Albert, as uh, evidence or um, arguments in favor of Superman as a lonely character, I wouldn't really argue that. Um, I would, I'm just saying that I personally see Superman not as a lonely figure, but first and foremost, um, he's a good person, a kind person, person that cares about other people and builds, uh, you know, emotional connections with people. And he's he's like really mentally healthy and emotionally healthy, um, and and he has a family and and uh, you know he's he's not somebody who ever grew up who felt like his parents didn't love him enough you know like this is a, a person who is good um because he grew up around goodness and I, I don't think i think because of that he's never really a lonely figure to me mm -hmm. okay nice 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 Uh, you ready for uh, some more questions? Yeah, sure, shoot. Yeah. 
Here, here's uh, something from, from Kenton, our buddy Kenton. Uh, okay, I just saw the Suicide Squad movie. Is this based on an actual comic book? Are those Egyptian-type characters, the squad battles in the movie, real characters from the comics? Mm, I'm going to say no. I mean, I haven't read it, uh, a lot of Suicide Squad, but the, those... The, what is what's what's her name? The hunt. Uh, it's not huntress, or is it? Uh, You're thinking of enchantress. Enchantress, yeah. I don't. I don't think she's a, she's a character. I know she's a character, but I'm just saying I don't think they fought like mummies that she created or anything like that. I, I don't know. <laughs> Do you, Zach, did you watch the Suicide Squad? Yeah, movie? I'm actually gonna have to sit that one out. I actually have not read Suicide Squad, nor have I watched the movie, so I, I don't really know. Yeah, I've read the good Suicide Squad comics. Uh, you know, the John Ostrander run from the 80s. Um, it's pretty much the only Suicide Squad worth reading, in my opinion. Uh, but I did not watch. Uh, I did not watch the movie, so I don't know um, who those characters they battle are. But I, I will say that the Suicide Squad is based on an actual comic book. Uh, the most famous incarnation of the Suicide Squad is uh, the 80s version. I mean, that's the reason why the Suicide Squad is still a thing today, I think, because that comic has withstood the test of time. Yeah. Uh, actually, the, there was a Suicide Squad from the Silver Age. I don't think they lasted too long. I don't really know too much about them, but I just know that it existed as a, as a name or as a concept. I don't think it was the same concept that's been popularized um today wasn't that is, suicide squad like a like an army thing or a military thing yeah i believe so yeah but I now say... uh, what we know as the suicide squad is is they're a team of super villains that have been incarcerated and they're basically forced to go on these missions uh black ops missions for the u.s government so they're kept in line um I think they have like some sort of explosive device planted on them so if they uh fall out of line you know they'll end up getting killed and they just go on these dangerous missions on behalf of the u.s government that was something that uh was created i think in the late 80s uh yeah it was definitely the late 80s uh by john ostrander the writer of the series uh, i think that run lasted probably at least around 60 issues or so and then ever since then they've been kind of bringing it back uh but not it never really survived very long because i think in the 90s there were one or two follow-up series that got canceled after like eight or ten issues and then uh, a few years ago um i think around it might have even been more than a few years ago might have been around the time of the new 52 i can't remember but you know they've done these modern suicide squad suicide squad comics that have uh, that version of Harley Quinn that we don't like. <laughs> and that's, that's kind of uh, what had a big influence on the movie, which made me not interested in the movie. So here's, here's another question from Kenton. Gambit is often considered one of the coolest characters in the X-Men, if not the Marvel Universe. Why do you think he is so popular with the fans? So guys, what do you think about Gambit of the X-Men? <laughs> First off, 
he's, he? I was going to Go say, ahead. first off, so so he's still popular. And with which fans? Are these a specific age group or a specific, like, like what demographic are we talking about? Uh, people that aren't on between the gutters, I would say. <laughs> That's a lot of people. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. Ouch. <laughs> Dang. <laughs> um. Well, I I was gonna question like, is he still popular? Yeah, yeah. That's kind of what I was getting at when when I asked a second ago, because like I I didn't know that was still a thing, but apparently it still is. Like I know in in like the nineties he was a big deal, but I don't I don't know if people still love him, you know, because. Yeah, I, I wonder if he's now considered past his prime or just forgotten. But I, I don't know. I don't have my pulse on fandom. <laughs> yeah, it's hard to say. Uh, he, Every time they try to give him his own comic book series, it never lasts very long. Yeah. He had a few miniseries in the 90s, and I think even had his own ongoing series that probably got canceled after two years and then he's had a couple more attempts at series that that got canceled after i don't know 10 or 12 issues or something like that uh yeah last year before the whole before hickman came on board and before house of x powers of 10 gambit and rogue um they co-headlined their own series called i think it was called mr and mrs x i never read that series uh, I'm not a. I'm personally not a Gambit fan. Never have been a Gambit fan. In fact, I think he's pretty lame. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I don't really have too much interest in reading Gambit comics. Uh, so I, 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 yeah, I guess I would have to say I do question why people like Gambit or why do people think he's cool. I forget. Is he a Jim Lee? Like, did Jim Lee design him? Yeah, he was co-created by Claremont and Jim Lee. If I had to guess, it'd be the Jim Lee effect. Like that's that's the only way that I can uh, uh, reconcile that his yeah. popularity. It's Jim Lee designed him. People like Jim Lee, and um, I guess when you're a teenager, there are elements of him that I feel like were taken from. And you know, feel free to disagree with me, but I feel like he, like Jim Lee, might have played some final fantasies or something and and you know the the idea of the thief like the cool thief was kind of a big thing so maybe he he took that idea and ran with it and created his own suave thief character and because all these other people were kind of into it at the time yeah man jim lee probably played dungeons and dragons and and rolled a you know rolled a d20 and created (laughs) gambit He's like, wouldn't it be cool if he could throw these cards and make stuff blow up? And, like, that's something that I feel like came out of uh, uh, a Final Fantasy game. Because uh, in in Final Fantasy 3, the guy threw coins or something like that, you know? But it was this yeah, idea but, that... Yeah, but, but to be fair, that, that game came out after Gambit was created. Oh, okay, okay. My bad, my bad. Okay. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, as but... a kid, there always was, uh, yeah, definitely, like, the Jim Lee factor for me. Um but I think the concept of being able to touch something and make it blow up sounds really cool to a little kid. It's like, hey, if I can... You know, it's for me, it was just like the power set and the possibilities with that, plus the whole swap thief thing. But it was mostly just like, hey, I mean, like, if I could touch something and make it blow up, what would I do? 
I always did. I always did question though, like, why cards? If he can do that with anything, why would he just use? That's like the weakest thing he can use. I mean, you know, like, what would you use, Zach? Me? People. Um, <laughs> well, yeah, there's always that. Babies. <laughs> you could just you could just have a sack of hammers you randomly carry around and. <laughs> that way, even if it doesn't blow up, you can still do some damage. <laughs> so, no babies! <laughs> yeah, that's the other thing. So, like, Gambit even had that stick thing, right? That, whatever that was. Like a metal, ex- a metal staff that yeah. could extend. Yeah. 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 And a, yeah, yeah, the I, trench coat. He, his costume never made sense to me. He had that purple body armor thing. Like, I don't really know what Jim Lee was thinking, man. And and he had that weird headpiece that, like, it wasn't really a mask, but it was like a, some piece of, like his, uh, his tights or his, or, or something that was stretched up all the way over his head so that his hair could flop out. Yeah, that, I never understood his, his costume. He's definitely a character that was, I think is pretty popular for people around our age because of the 90s. Like, if you grew up reading X-Men comics in the 90s, man, what you were reading was Jim Lee comics, and you were also probably watching the X-Men cartoon from when we were kids. And that, when we were kids, that was the hot stuff, and, and Gambit was, uh, you know, a key player in, in the cartoon. Um, he was in all those 90s comics. So you just kind of grew up following this character who was portrayed as the guy that could do everything really well, you know? He was like a... yeah like a poor man's wolverine basically um just someone that was good at everything he did he was he had you know the ability to make stuff blow up so what kid doesn't like that uh and I, yeah i guess that's probably where his biggest fan base is i th- i would have to guess it's like probably people who are around our age like in their 30s i bet like people our age look back at those comics and they're still like oh yeah that was an awesome time of x-men comics or yeah Yeah. gambit was one of the coolest x-men because that's what i grew up reading or watching on tv in the cartoon or whatever like i don't Um, think anyone like younger comics readers i don't think any of them care about gambit (laughs) but i could be wrong i don't yeah i could be wrong too i could this is just a theory on my in my mind um even or or like maybe even um fans who are older than us you know like I don't. I when Hickman did House of X, Powers of Ten, I I don't remember Gambit being in it. Uh, I mean, I'd really have to go back and and like look at every panel to see if he's in the background of anything. But if you have to look that hard, then he might as well not have been in it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, there were a lot. He of was standing next to a bush. <laughs> yeah, but, I'm, but a lot of characters did get little cameos like that, you know. Um, yeah. And I don't, I can't remember if I saw Gambit or not. Um, so, in my mind, if if Hickman didn't care about Gambit, th- then I feel you know vindicated that he's not really that important <laughs> of a character. Although I, I do think Gambit has uh, shown up again in Dawn of X. I think he's in he's on Excalibur. Mm. I haven't read it, but um, you know he's not completely forgotten. But there's been a lot of bad Gambit stories over the over the past few decades he's always switching sides man i never understood this this guy he's he's always like betraying the x-men and then being accepted back into the x-men it, it doesn't make sense to me man they, they need to just kill him <laughs> it, so, so that, that brings uh, up an interesting question for you then drew would you say uh-huh 
Well, basically, is there a way to fix Gambit? Like, if you were to fix Gambit or somehow make him actually irrelevant or a key player, aside from a major costume redesign, um, what would you? What changes would you make? So, are you saying that I'm not allowed to kill him? <laughs> yeah. <What's... laughs> Your job is to make make Gambit into someone that into a character that you would like, or at the very least, respect. Yeah, yeah. Actually, tell okay. a decent story with Gambit. Like, how would you do that? Um, I'd probably start by making him no longer part of the X Men. Uh, okay. I mean, obviously, with with like, well, here's the thing, right? Like, with what Hickman's been doing with uh, Don of X, I, I I really couldn't say like where he's going with it yet. Um, and with all the mutants being one nation under Xavier, it's really hard to to say, oh yeah, he can't be an X Man anymore because every mutant now is basically an X Man. But um, if I didn't have to work with uh what's going on with today's continuity what i would do with gambit is just i would forget trying to make him a hero man i would just make him a heel all the way he's like this is a guy that's that's always like switch sides you know he he's he was a thief and then he was a noble thief and then he was an x-man and then oh wait he had a history with mr sinister and he was a marauder he was part of the mutant massacre he became a horseman of apocalypse and and now he's an X-Man again. You know, it's like, dude, can you just make up your mind and pick a freaking side? You know what I'm yeah, saying? Yeah. yeah, <laughs> so yeah. I would, if somebody switches sides that many times, I would just make him a bad guy. You know, like, there's no reason for Cyclops to be like, oh, we can trust you again. You know? Like, <laughs> Why do we keep renewing his access card? <laughs> yeah. I would just make him a villain, dude. Okay. All right. Yeah. What about you guys? I'm behind the idea of not necessarily putting him in the in the X books. Like, I would probably just have him go independent. That's probably what I'd go with. Um, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, it's uh. <laughs> <laughs> um. You go, Zach, because I'm, I'm finding it even harder than Drew to <laughs> come up with something. Uh, I, I think I agree with Drew's idea of just, for one, having him pick a side. But I think maybe, I mean, if I had to tell a story and not kill him off, maybe that's the story I would tell of him actually picking a side. My whole issue with the character is, like, what is his motivation? He's just all over the place. Like, what, who is this character? At his core level, what does he actually want? What drives him? I mean, can you decide to be on one team or another? Sure. But what does that say about that part of you that doesn't change? Everyone has that part. Everyone has that piece of them inside that's just you. It is you. It's what you were born with. It's what you're going to die with. Um, What is that core for Gambit? Mm -hmm. And I don't recall, even in the one-shots or whatever that I read during the 90s, I just don't recall ever really having a strong sense of what that character's uh, driving motivation is. It's just like, okay, here's a plot, here's stuff happening, Um, Gambit's really clever, he throws some stuff that blows up, and then boom, we're done, right? But it's just like, well, yeah, what is this character actually about? 
So I think if I were to have... He wants to sleep with <laughs> yeah, Rogue. I, I think that much has been established. <laughs> yeah, we'd have to start from a place of like, you know, what, who is the character and what actually motivates him. So. I, I will say that listening to guys talk, it, it has... It did make me think. Like, I think a large part of his failing is that, one, a lot of his backstory is pretty <laughs> stupid. Like, I don't know, it's just... I'm not... Uh, I guess I'm not into the whole Guild of Thieves thing, and... Yeah, like... And the other thing that I was going to say was that part of the fact that his backstory is stupid is also the fact that I feel like the whole point of him was Jim Lee just wanted someone that was the quintessential cool guy to be on the team, and... He was like a proto-grifter. Yeah, but, you know, other than that, that's a pretty, like, flimsy foundation to build a character on, you know? It's just, I just want this guy to be, like, so cool to just be oozing with charisma and sex appeal and just awesomeness and blah 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 and it's just like yeah but if that's all he's there to do like who cares you know Mm -hmm. so I guess that's that's where his failing with me is yeah wow we actually had quite a bit to say about Gambit that's probably the most I've thought about Gambit in a really (laughs) long time (laughs) true yeah Here's one more question from Kenton. If you could witness a battle between any two comic book characters in real life, who would you guys choose? Who would be the ultimate battle? My answer, Drax the Destroyer versus Aunt May. (laughs) (laughs) That would be, uh... oh man, poor Aunt May. (laughs) 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 Man, Spider-Man's never going to be emotionally healthy. (laughs) Oh, man. Um, The first thought that I had was Juggernaut and the Ghost. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Because I want the Ghost to go inside Juggernaut, and then I want him to physically form and burst out of his chest like a xenomorph. <laughs> wouldn't, wait, hang on. Wouldn't that kill Ghost as well? Because like, if you went solid inside something that was already solid, wouldn't you kill yourself too? Yeah, but the, the premise of the question was wouldn't I want to uh, what do I want to see when yeah, they both true. survive? <laughs> that's true, that's it's true. It's just what do I want to see? Yeah, that, that's true, that's true. That's true. <laughs> You're the you're the real ultimate winner in that battle <laughs> because you're the one being entertained. Yeah. Oh man. Uh, Zach, I would have to say for me, especially given that last episode you guys did, definitely just Daredevil and Kingpin. It's just for me that's just mm. a classic, just hatred-driven, just brawl. Those guys hate each other so much that uh, you know, just uh, seeing them fight and actually fight with all their heart that would be that would be a pleasure actually have either of you uh, seen the netflix version of uh, daredevil i I've haven't only... seen season three yeah i've only seen seasons one and two okay, so if far you guys haven't seen three you're missing out there is there is a scene between 
I'm not going to ruin it for you, but there's a scene between Daredevil and the Kingpin um, right when it gets up to the end of the series that is one of my all-time favorite scenes, Daredevil or anything else I've watched. It's just, it's ridiculous. It's so good. Very good. Yeah, I believe it, man. Yeah, that's that's definitely something I should check out. Maybe something I should check out, uh, you know, while we're still in quarantine. <laughs> yeah, highly recommend it. That's we were talking about binge-worthy comics. That's a binge-worthy show, though, for real. Yeah. 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 Totally. You know, Albert, when you when you talked about a uh, juggernaut and the ghost, um, I also thought about that. Made me think of this one comic in a. It's not exactly the same thing, but the first thing I thought of when you said that uh, you wanted to see the ghost burst apart from the inside was uh, in Rick Remender's Uncanny X-Force. There's a scene where Nightcrawler and the Blob are fighting, and Nightcrawler teleports a great white shark into the Blob's stomach, and the shark eats him from the inside oh, wow. out. <laughs> I always thought that was pretty funny. That was creative. That's really, that's really funny. nice are there speaking of fights are there any uh, comic book fights that you have read that uh, have always stood out to you like what are some of your favorite fights in comics there are so many dude Um, if I had to distill it down to one Honestly, um, it might be because Zach just mentioned it, so I'm still kind of stuck on Daredevil mode, but yeah, um, the Daredevil and Kingpin fight in Hardcore is probably the one that I'm thinking of at the moment. Mm. Like, It's not necessarily one where you see a lot of cool moves or anything, but just the emotion... And the drama of what they're saying to each other as it's all going down, as they're like, you know, pummeling one another. Like, that was a cool fight. Yeah, man. Like, tell us about it, man. <laughs> tell us a story. Okay. So, Brian Michael Bendis and Alex Maleev did a run on Daredevil, and the midpoint uh, crux of it was a story where. Daredevil finally has his fill of the Kingpin and they just have one final, you know, quote-unquote final brawl for it all and Daredevil basically just shows up after Kingpin has wiped out all of his enemies and Kingpin's over here, he's basically clawing his way back up to reclaim his throne as the King of Hell's Kitchen and Daredevil confronts him and they're just they're just beating the crap out of each other <laughs> and the whole time Daredevil's inner monologue is just talking about how how much he hates this man and how much this man has just taken from him and just all the all the deep-seated resentment that he has for the Kingpin and there's just this one point in the fight where Daredevil and Kingpin are standing there and Daredevil just says no more I, I, I don't remember verbatim what he says but he, he essentially says, no more chessboard of life, no more, like, game of cat and mouse. I'm just going to beat the <laughs> shit out of you. <laughs> nice. Yeah. So, and that, that always stuck out to me. I mean, 
I know we've, we've done a list of, like, the 25 greatest Marvels of all time, and it was hard not putting uh, Daredevil by Brian Michael Bendis and Alex Maleev, but that was a great run and a great story, and, you know, uh, that it, just a great fight uh, within it. Yeah, totally, man. Absolutely agree. What about you, Zach? Any uh, fights that are very memorable for yeah, you? Yeah, there's, there's a few, actually. Um, one that definitely jumps out firsthand uh, is that scene in uh, Dark Knight Returns, I think, where uh, Batman's fighting the mutant leader. That's, oh, yeah. That's one of my all-time favorite ones. Um, yup. So, so it's that Perfect. final scene where he gets his... Uh, Basically, I guess he gets his revenge, his second shot, because he he went up against this guy once before and he kicked the crap out of him. So this is his comeback, and uh, so he comes back, and the payoff is is really really good. Um, the second one is there's a scene in Gotham Central with uh, Detective uh, what's her name? The what's that? Her name Montoya. Yeah, her Montoya. Name Montoya? Um, and she's having some anger problems to begin with, so she and her partner have already mm. been getting into it because she's become more violent, um, you know, recently than than she normally is. Uh, but I think she's in a bar or something. And someone pushes over, pushes her over the edge, and she takes the person out. And then they're hunting this killer later on, and he all but confesses to it, like when they're right in this hospital. Um, and there's a scene where she has an option, you know, to basically just do police procedure and cuff the guy and take him in. But she just beats the daylights out of him. And she still arrests him, but she beats the daylights out of him first. Then the guy <laughs> <to> the hospital. <laughs> and it actually becomes uh, an issue or a point of tension between uh, Renee Montoya and her partner in later issues. He keeps asking her, like, what's going on with you? You know, you could have done something different there, but that's what you did. Um, so I like that. It, it reveals a lot about the character. Um, and in the moment that it happens, even if you don't particularly agree with her, um, you, you, you feel where she's coming from. You sympathize with her. So, yeah, that's, that was a good scene for me. Yeah, nice. that was really good. And, and like what you described is like there were consequences to her yeah, actions, yeah. right? It's like so many times we read these superhero type comics and and people are just being each other up and they don't really have to think about the consequences because might always makes right but uh a comic like gotham central that's grounded in realism you know you got to face some consequences for for doing things like that yeah yeah um yeah uh you got anything drew uh man i got a bunch um <laughs> like talking about superhero fights like we could do a whole episode dedicated to that but uh, I'll, just, I'll just share like one that i thought was kind of funny that came to my mind uh but it was during uh the joss whedon john cassidy uh astonishing x-men run they created uh, the character danger uh you know she's basically the um, like the danger room developed its own sentience and became a like a functional robotic had a functional robotic body but it, it knew all the moves of the x-men because it trained them for so many years so it, it beat up all the x-men messed them all up but the fight that i want to highlight is the fight between professor xavier and danger because 
Danger basically beats up the X-Men and then goes to track down Professor Xavier. And this is just basically maybe the one time I can think of a middle-aged bald man being super <laughs> deadly. <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. So I remember it's that. Like, yeah. I just remember before they f- began their fight, Danger was saying something like, you know, I've, I've defeated the X-Men. I've, I've, uh, or maybe, no, I think it was Professor Xavier. He, he, he was like doing an internal monologue and it said something like, you fought my X-Men tens of thousands of times and you know all their strengths and weaknesses and you've proven that by defeating them in battle but you've never faced me. And it's like a picture of <laughs> Professor Xavier, like just looking really fierce, even though he's, you know, he's like a, man a 50 in a something year old bald man in a wheelchair. <laughs> you know, it's like, <laughs> and he's about to fight some crazy robot from the future. Yeah, man, that's the content I'm there for. <laughs> nice, nice. All right, oh. here's, couple more questions um here's here's one from our boy eric he wants to know what are some overrated or underrated uh stories writers or artists wow that's a big one (laughs) i feel like that's one where we could we could do an entire episode on that one alone all right (laughs) Uh, yeah. I would say maybe in the overrated category for me, um, and this is just yeah. my opinion, so whoever wants to crucify me for this, whatever, but it's just my opinion. Uh, I would definitely say Chris Claremont from uh, the 90s is a bit overrated. I mean, it's, you know, everybody mm-hmm. knows him, and he obviously did a ton of work on X-Men and so many other titles. He's, like, probably one of the best-known, uh, you know, writers from that period, Um but I wouldn't necessarily say that he's one of the best in terms of just craft and execution. Again, strictly my own opinion, mm-hmm. but in terms of craft and execution, we have to remember um, when you're when you're making comics, you're essentially telling telling a story where there are words and pictures side by side, right? So the two are supposed to complement and not overpower each other. Uh, one big issue that I had with Claremont was not just that the text was so heavy, but a lot in a lot of cases it was unnecessary. It would be like, you know, Cyclops and Wolverine are going over the hill and they see, you know, this valley full of full of deadly enemies that they must face. And then you look at the artwork and it's Scott and Wolverine <laughs> going over the hill, seeing a bunch of deadly enemies that they must face. It's just like, okay, like, don't choke out the pictures. Like, let the story tell itself. Um, and I think maybe a good example in contrast just to make it a little bit clearer um, think about something like uh, Watchmen where the characters are doing one thing but Alan Moore is just weaving these whole other levels of nuance and things into the narrative he's letting the pictures speak for themselves but the words are telling the story as well just on another level you don't have to directly describe what the character is doing what they're thinking and, and this kind of thing Mm-hmm. Um, so in terms of craft, I would say overrated because because Claremont was prolific, but I wouldn't necessarily say that the execution um, was was a high level of execution in terms of craft. Yeah, absolutely. I gotta stand by that too, man. It's like he 
he obviously left an impact and people are still taking a lot of his ideas today and, and like doing their own versions of it. I mean, Dark Phoenix Saga is one of his most famous stories. Yeah, yeah. It's popular, sure. but yeah. yeah, when you when you, you're right, when you look at it and, and look at the craft of it, there's a lot of things that that don't necessarily hold up. He's as a writer, he's just uh it's like he he thinks he's like Alan Moore, but he doesn't write as well as Alan Moore. <laughs> you know, he there's a lot of purple prose in his writing. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, I was gonna say in terms of like, and this is one I might take some flack for, but I think Geoff Johns is kind of over is overrated. Yeah. <laughs> um. He's someone that I liked early on in his career, but as they gave him more power and, you know, more leeway to do what he wanted over at DC Comics, I just was less into him less and less. Um, and there are a lot of people who who still like a lot of a lot of things like but I, I, I have to be honest when I say that things that they consider his high points are for me, they're, they're things that were beginning to show the cracks of him as a writer. Um, I think my issue with him is he's a guy who's who's a fanboy and a writer. Yeah. And, and I think sometimes that works, but when you get to a place where they just keep giving you more and more free range to do what you want, that fanboy instinct just takes you to like some terrible places just narratively speaking yeah. you know yeah yeah I, i'm not gonna pick out any specific things but uh that's that's my two cents on them okay yeah that's i think that's fair i can yeah i'm not gonna dispute that at all <laughs> <laughs> You got yeah, one of these days, we should talk about Jeff Johns comics. <laughs> oh yes, I intend to. <laughs> I'll save what I have to say for that podcast. <laughs> uh, overrated. I feel like a lot of the stuff that we talked about in our Dan DiDio episode, a lot of that was just great examples of stuff we think is overrated, because a lot of that stuff was pretty popular, like the like Batman Hush, for example. Yeah. You know, like that's. We've already talked about how popular that comic is, and we've never really talked about why it sucks. Um, <laughs> but you know, I think if if we really There's wanted a lot to, to we say could, about that. yeah, we could break it down, man. Um, or something like Identity Crisis or uh, Infinite Crisis. You know, like those are those are comics that a lot of people liked, but I would say uh, are pretty bad comics. Mm. Um, but here, here, I'll, I'll, I'll give, give a, give a bone to the Dan DiDio era, man. Like, if I think about <laughs> an underrated comic from, from his, from his era, and you know, keep in mind he had nothing to do with this comic other than probably approving it. But yeah. Solo, Solo was a great comic from his yeah. era. Solo was a twelve-issue series, uh, and it was basically like an anthology series. Each issue of Solo was basically uh, one artist given, you know, 48 pages to do anything he wanted. So he could tell his own stories, uh, work with a co-writer if he wanted to, do stories um, 
you know, of his own liking, whether or not they had anything to do with DC's characters. And you could just, you know, it was a it was a place where a creator could have fun. So you had like one issue where it was, I think Tim Sale. Um, you had another issue with Howard Chaikin, Jordi Bernay, uh, Sergio Aragonis, Mike Allred, Damian Scott, uh, Richard Corbin. You know, like all these awesome, awesome artists each had one issue to do anything they wanted. And it was a great series, man. And I don't think that comic gets enough love. Yeah. Uh, Brendan McCarthy did an issue. It was it's just a murderer's row of all time great artists doing yeah. whatever they wanted you know, to that's do. That's awesome. I've actually never read that, but that makes me want to check it out. Yeah, yeah, it's it's one of those things that's I don't think I hardly ever see those in, in quarter bins. So I I don't think they printed that many of them. And as far as the collected editions go, I think they made a hardcover a few years ago. I but I'm not sure they did. If it's still, yeah, they did, right? I don't know yeah. if it's still in print or how easy it is to find one of those. It's something where I, when I do see the hardcover, it's it's super tempting to buy. It's like it's a gorgeous uh, collection, you know. Yeah, and and each person who had an issue, they were just able to do whatever they wanted. And it was yeah. just every issue was just fun to read, so yeah. great to look at, fun stories. And yeah. just people experimenting with the craft and language of comics as a as a form. Yeah, uh, I would highly recommend it. But it was just one of those things that it wasn't really popular, man. Like when it came out, I don't think people were chomping at the bit to buy it. I don't think it was yeah. breaking uh, sales records or anything. You know, that's probably why it's so hard to find mm. nowadays. Yeah, I do think it's still something that people creatively recognize as well. Maybe. Not a lot of people, but people who um, know stuff about comics appreciate it, man. Like if you yeah. go check out Cartoonist Cafe, like every yeah. so often they'll they'll talk about some issues of Solo. Like I was watching the, they did an episode uh, a couple weeks ago about Brendan McCarthy and and they delved deep into his issue of Solo. Yeah, you know, so like people that know stuff about comics, people that are comics professionals themselves, they they know that this is some good stuff. You know, it's like yeah. when you get somebody like Richard Corbin to do whatever he wants for an entire issue you know you got to check yeah. that out but then it's like the comics buying public that's so ingrained into uh you know i gotta get every single batman story or you know did cyclops really do that <laughs> you know like those kind of people are the people that aren't gonna be into yeah. stuff that's you know purely comics yeah you know they're the ones that are looking they they, they buy comics thinking that they're getting uh you know the the official authorized biography of superman <laughs> <laughs> so, so I guess that's uh, underrated. That would fit in the underrated category for you, huh? Yeah, it's it's yeah. the underrated thing. I, I wanted to share something from the Dan DiDio era that was underrated because we we, we, we <laughs> rag on him a lot. Um, but you know, again, he had nothing to do with this comic other than it came yeah, under no, his watch. Cool. <laughs> he, yeah, he didn't ruin it. <laughs> yeah. Give him credit for not ruining something that <laughs> was pretty amazing. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think I think one for underrated for me, um, and I don't know why it's popping in my head right now, but definitely uh, Zot Scott McCloud. Um, oh, you know, yeah. I, again, it's one of those things in in comic circles. I think that's probably known pretty well, at least in terms of like older readers, maybe people in our age group and older. Um, but man, I just I just really appreciate that series. It's just 
got a lot of heart. I love the characters. I love the art. Um, if people don't know who Scott McCloud is, uh, he also does a lot of other things concerning uh, academically analyzing the craft of comics itself. Um, he made uh, two books that are mm-hmm. really well known, uh, Making Comics and Understanding Comics, and he basically deconstructs the whole process of how the actual craft is done and how it's done well. So he just has uh, such a solid grasp of visual narrative and visual storytelling. Um, reading Zot is a treat for me because it's like, you know, you enjoy a great story um, and you get to you get to take that journey with the characters, but it's also a textbook as well. Um, it just, it, yeah. if you are someone who wants to draw comics or wants to learn it well, um, I would recommend picking up those two books by Scott McCloud. Uh, I think he also has his website. If I'm not mistaken, I think it's just scottmcleod.com. Um, but he has his website. Um, and just pick up some of his work. Pick up some Zot or look at some of his comics online and uh, just analyze how he goes about solving that problem of, of doing the visual narrative on the page. Like, you won't miss out. It's, a, it's just a treasure trove of knowledge. Yeah, definitely. Zod is a classic, man. We got a lot of love for Scott McCloud up in <laughs> up in here. Yeah, totally. Albert, do you have a pick for underrated comic? Um or creator or story? Jeez. Uh yeah, that's tough for me. I'm shoot. Yeah, you're gonna have to get back to me. I can't think of anything at this point in time. Like I'm like literally sitting here looking at my library, and I'm just kind of. <laughs> well, uh, okay. The one thing that <clears throat> did pop up to, in mind for me, and um, yeah, I don't know if it's something that gets hate or anything like that, but uh, I don't think it. A lot of people acknowledge it like if anything it kind of gets lost in the shuffle of the mix um but uh i was looking at my shelf and <clears throat> i see here divinity by matt kent and trevor harrison that's trevor harrison right mm-hmm. yeah and that was a superhero comic that came out a few years back i don't remember how long but um you know in, in terms of <clears throat> uh in terms of books that came out, uh, like especially like superhero comics, especially since there's just so much to choose from, it's it's pretty easy for that to get lost in the mix. Um, but I do think Divinity by uh, Matt Kent and Trevor Harrison is a pretty awesome thing that I would promote to people. Um, it's a story about a. It's a story about. A cosmonaut who goes into the furthest depths of space and comes back to Earth as a god, more or less, and just it's it's just a story about him dealing with <clears throat> uh, these vast levels of power and just trying to make sense of his his godhood mm-hmm. um, and. It's not an ongoing series uh, as much as it is just a series of miniseries, but it's it's solid superhero stuff. 
Well, I don't even... Would you consider it superhero comics? Yeah, I would. Yeah, so... Uh, if you're looking for superhero comics that, you know, uh, of the lesser-known variety, I, I'd recommend Divinity. Yeah, it's a Valiant comic, but I don't think you really need to know anything about the Valiant universe in order to appreciate it. Yeah, uh, uh, you might want to know who Unity is, uh, which is their premier superhero team. Like, But, you know, it's not like knowing what each of their backstories is is intrinsic to the story itself. All you need to know is they're a superhero team. <laughs> yeah, pretty basic <laughs> idea. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think uh, anybody who's uh, you know above the age of five can grasp that concept. You'd be surprised. <laughs> <laughs> you'd be surprised how many people are. Uh, yeah, you'd be surprised how many people do not feel like that is enough information. <laughs> yeah, that, yeah, I guess you got a point there. You got me, man. You got me. Yeah. Don't give people credit, Drew. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, man. That's that's. Uh, I'll try not to make that mistake again. <laughs> yep, I have that tattooed on my chest. <laughs> Never give people credit. <laughs> any other questions? One more question from our boy Eric, man. It's uh, are there any good legit sites to order comics from if one were to avoid supporting Amazon? Oh yeah, totally, man. I would totally uh, give a shout out to In Stock Trades. Uh, TFAW is a good site. You know, I used to be better, but <laughs> hey, it's still it's still solid. Um, I I don't use these other sites quite as much, but you know, I I go to them every now and then, and this feels too much like a plug, but I swear <laughs> they're not paying me anything, but. Um, like Torpedo Comics, Torpedo Comics is a website I go to uh, occasionally, or there's a website that I found out about, CheapGraphicNovels.com. Um, that was all right. Uh, or even just like Half Price Books. I like Half Price Books. Oh, I didn't know you could order online from, on, order comics online from their site easily. Yeah, for sure. Oh, okay. Like, I think it's a chain. I see. Yeah, yeah that's true. So. So there's like a network of them, and you can find things. Uh, you can find things decently cheap, depending on what you're. Oh looking man, for. I'm scared now. You shouldn't have told me that. <laughs> <laughs> After we log off, Zach's gonna go online know, and do right? some shopping. Your bank account's gonna be empty. <laughs> hey, now's the time for it. <clears throat> yeah, I think uh, during these times, this particular, um, it's probably helpful to try and support local shops too because i think a lot of local stores um you know they're bearing a lot of the brunt of the shelter in place orders uh so yeah if it's possible sure. probably could try to support your local shop um so you know a lot of them are doing uh mail order services too or even it's, if, it, if you don't have yeah or even if you don't have a local shop um you know, shops in other cities are... I know they're still mailing to people all across the country, so you could always just check their website and stuff. Um, yeah. <laughs> I mean, earlier we were talking about Discount Comic Book Service being one of uh, DC's new distributors, and they do own in-stock trades, so it, it does kind of feel like 
you know every every time we order something from in stock trades it's cheap for us but it, it is you know we're not helping our local stores yeah so that that does kind of weigh on my conscience just a bit so i guess i just got to read more comics and you know <laughs> shake that feeling off no drew's drew's totally right here like um for those of you who aren't in the know there's this this pandemic has been a crisis for the industry for comic shops especially just because they're they don't have as much resources as the publishers or, or even the distributors so they're they end up kind of getting hit the worst when um when there aren't sales you know they don't have the infrastructure to back themselves up they're just like mom and pop guys who are just trying to make a living doing something that they love yeah so you know so shout out to like comics experience or the isotope um yep you know amazing fantasy totally just to, just to name a few yeah no that's, yeah a few of our uh, favorite san francisco yeah, stores a good call though i yep. mean uh, if there's anyone listening out there it's probably a good idea to try and support local as much as you can um because you know that's where you go to get most of your comics most of the time and we don't want to get into a situation yeah. where you know we come back out of quarantine whenever that is and those guys aren't there anymore so yeah it's it's tough because comics man it's like a lot of these stores aren't really operating on really big margins so like even having a couple of down months can be uh severely yeah. damaging it's like people i think I think generally speaking, you, oh man, Albert, I'm gonna have to apologize to you because I'm about to give people the benefit of the doubt. <laughs> <laughs> but I think, <laughs> but I, I think people who who open up and start comic book stores, they're not necess- they're not really in there to you know get rich or anything. They do it because they yeah. love comics. Yeah. You know, sure, there's there's sure. there's other things that people could do if they just wanted to make money hand over fist, and yeah. it's got nothing to do with comics. Yeah. But uh, opening a, opening and operating a comic book store—that's a tough business, man. Yeah. Like we, what we were Agreed. saying about Diamond Comics earlier in our show, you know, that that that's it makes things a lot tougher for for uh, stores because. You know they got to order products that are non-returnable they got to order them like three or four months in advance before they even know what the thing is or how well how much people want it it's like such a ridiculous way of doing business man because because just imagine if you had to open a run a business where you were ordering a gambit comic that was going to come out in three months from now how many do you know you're supposed to order man like if people don't go to your store and say specifically can you pre-order this for me? Like, how would you know how many you're supposed to order for the racks? Like, there's no way you can predict that. It's, it's stupid, man. And and if you order yeah. too many, you can't return them. So eventually, you just got to throw them away or get rid of them. Yeah, for sure. That's that's why you got like comic book stores all across the country with these, you know, dollar bins or quarter bins chock full of random bad comics that nobody wanted to buy yeah yeah it's really sad i mean it's indicative of the fact that um the way business is done now in a lot of cases i mean obviously it's not ideal and it's not um efficient the way the business model is set up like it's something that needs an overhaul it's just the way things are structured currently um 
it makes it really challenging to do that. It's it's something that everyone knows, but you know, we just we haven't done it yet. No one's really acted on it. But yeah, all those all those things are true. So until we fix that, that's the current state of affairs right now. Yeah. And who knows, man, maybe this whole uh, pandemic situation will cause something to change. Um, but how it shakes out is something yeah. that remains to be seen. Mm. Well, that's pretty much all the questions I got. You guys got anything off? Um, I don't have any more questions, but I did think of one more comic that I wanted to recommend that covers the theme of, like, isolation <laughs> yeah man and um another one that i would recommend would be sandman preludes and nocturnes mm, it's, yeah um, sandman yeah it's by neil gaiman and i forget who the first artist is but um it's basically the first was it a uh, sam keith he drew like the first one or two issues might have been sam keith and, and then I think it might have been like Mike Dringenberg or something. Yeah, I d I don't know off the top of my head. You you you've got a better handle on it than I do. <clears throat> but I feel like this is uh, something that I would recommend that covers the theme of isolation because the very first story is about the King of Dreams and how he's summoned by these cult members. They just keep him trapped in a dungeon for decades at a time, <sighs> and. Yeah, and it's just, you know, they just keep him isolated, and it's just a story about... I mean, there's a lot of things that go on, but his story in particular is about the passage of time. So it's... And, uh, you know, just how he handles decades just biding his time, waiting for his moment to come. So that was a good story, and that's something that I would recommend. Yeah, that Morpheus man, he's he's a patient dude. <laughs> patient dude. Yeah. <laughs> you Not ever to, read Sandman? I've read Zach? a little bit. I've read a couple of issues. It's one of those things I always wanted to get into more, but you know, time just didn't allow. So, still on my definitely to read list, but yeah, I haven't finished it yet. Mm -hmm. There's there's this one line in particular, and I I don't think it ruins or gives away too much, but there's a moment in it. So when when Morpheus gets trapped by these cult members he he's in he's in this giant like hourglass sort of thing and the whole time he's there he doesn't talk for decades he just doesn't talk and then there comes a point in the story where he finally you know says something to his captors and essentially what he says is you think that because I'm a mortal that the passage of time that I don't feel the passage of time but in reality, I feel every second that passes, same as you do, and that that was something that always stuck with me. <laughs> yeah, it's it's cool how comic like Sandman has, like, so many moments that resonate in different ways for all everybody who reads it. You know? Yeah, it's, it's such a like a wide ranging type of story that I think will appeal to lots of different readers. Totally, totally. It's um, it's a well beloved comic, and rightfully so. It it deserves its affection. Yeah, 
feels like there's a good chance we'll be talking about that in depth sometime when we do our uh, DC Top 25. We'll have to defer to our uh, cave full of experts. <laughs> to all of the statisticians we have doing the doing the calculations for us. Yeah, our, they're, they're still hard at work calculating all that stuff, man. In our bunker. <laughs> yeah, they're... they're Busily reading every single DC comic that's ever been published, so that uh, yes, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Anything else, guys? Uh, no. Zach, tell us a funny Should story. I tell you a funny story. Um, man, I don't know. I, I'm not thinking of anything like offhand. Like, narrow it down a little bit. A funny story about. All right. T- tell us, tell us a story. T- tell us one more comic that you would recommend to people. Um, well, if you just want something straight up for comic relief right now, because we were talking about you know being stressed and being isolated and anxiety and all that, um, something that you will just read it and laugh maybe. Uh, Next wave is a really good one for that. <laughs> I was. Oh yeah. I was thinking about good that call. earlier when we were talking about fight scenes and actually. Nice. One of my favorite ones is in there just because it's so random and ridiculous. I think there was one where they're fighting like Fin Fang Foom and then there are a bunch of killer apes yep. or something somewhere. It was just it's just complete randomness. <laughs> but next wave is, is really funny. It will make you laugh if nothing else. Yeah, definitely man. It makes <laughs> you laugh out loud. That's definitely nice. one of the high points of Marvel Comics mm. of the past twenty years. In my opinion that, that's something that when i think about the marvel top 25 i'm like man next wave could have yeah. been on there too you know yeah it's definitely one of my favorites yeah yeah same here man I, it's something i still pull off my shelf every so often just to look at different scenes and reread a couple of uh scenes here and there just for the sheer fun of it Good choice, good choice, great stuff. All right, guys. Uh, I guess that's about it then for our mailbag. It was fun just catching up with you. I haven't heard you guys' voices yeah, in a while. Yeah, it's been a while. <laughs> <laughs> when you first got on. Yeah. But yeah, it's Same fun here. just talking about comics. Agreed. For real. And I'm glad that we were able to get together and, uh, you know, put out a podcast while, you know, while in quarantine, so... Hopefully we can do this some more. Maybe yeah, put totally. out some additional episodes. We're still working on some, you know, we got stuff in the pipeline. Yep. Stay <laughs> tuned, true believers. Yeah, sounds <laughs> good. I mean if there's anyone out there and you're working on something and you're just bored and you want to listen to us drone on about comics for, you know, a couple hours, well here you go. There you go. Can we get a shanka dunk, Albert? Shankadus Donkadus. <laughs> There's our tagline. I don't know why that's our tagline, but it's just that thing that Albert always says. You know, that Albert, that guy. Latin, no less. That's a, that's a deluxe Shankadanka. Yeah. <laughs> this has been Between the Gutters. Thanks for listening, everybody, and we'll catch you next time. Yep, stay, stay safe, safe, y'all. See ya.